Hello and welcome to this podcast from Evidence-Based Education. My name is Jamie Scott and this podcast is all about the use of CEM assessment data and I'm joined by my colleague Matt. Hi. Hi Matt. Matt is our CEM uh, data training manager who has worked with hundreds of schools and many many more teachers around the world in their use of CEM assessment data and this podcast is focused specifically on the uh, secondary phase and the idea really is to um, think about the wealth of CEM assessment data that's available and apply a process to your use of that data. So we're going to talk about this process, we're going to talk about the types of information available and the ways it can be used by different stakeholders. So Matt, can you briefly give us an overview of the three parts to the process that we're going to be talking about today? I think it's worth starting to say that I think the three part process is really a way that we suggest schools approach the data just so that it can often be that you get loads of information and just try to give something that's a bit more manageable um, as a way of working your way through. So we suggest starting off by looking at the baseline data that you receive. Um, with a diagnostic eye. Um, so use it to try and identify individual students' strengths and perhaps areas for development that might be highlighted within the data. And the second part of that process is then to, to think about next steps as part of a goal setting process. So what are, are potential outcomes for your students and, and how might we, we actually get there? And then the final part of the process is, is more of a reflective so is perhaps using value added data other progress data within um, the CEM package to think about um, the progress that your students have made and compare it to other students and other schools worldwide so you get a bit of an idea about what seems to work and perhaps what isn't working quite as well. So I think the idea here is that we're going to talk about each part each stage in turn and we're going to talk about the types of reports that are available and who might be using them for what so let's start with part one so my first question Matt is what kind of information is available here and at what point of the academic year is it provided so with the the baseline data that you receive from CM that that it should be back in schools really quite quickly after students take the assessments. So most schools taking CEM assessments will do them either right at the end of one academic year, looking ahead to the to the following year. So perhaps taking them in June or July with students um, before they enter um, year seven or year ten. Um, so that you've got that uh, those data right uh, before the summer break even so that you can start to look at them perhaps before the students return. But the, the vast majority of schools will do the assessments in September and the data will be back um, within 48 hours. And the, the, the two principal pieces of baseline data that you receive from CEM are intake profiles and then the individual pupil reports or IPRs. Now, the intake profiles, they're predominantly used by often senior leaders or perhaps school governors because they, they tell you something about the intake into the school and the cohorts that are joining the school and allow you to draw comparisons between one year um, and the next. And that's one of the, the real advantages with standardised assessment data that uh, because of that standardisation, 
it allows you to directly compare one year um, to the next year in a way that using GCSEs and A-levels uh, is very difficult, particularly with recent changes in grading and the structure of public examinations. So governors and senior leaders can look at the cohort and start to think, well, is the cohort that we've got into year seven this year much stronger than we used to? Because that's really crucial information to pass on to uh, heads of department, to pass on to teachers. Perhaps that might mean that some of your top sets will need even more in the way of stretch and challenge activities. Or, or perhaps actually that if you have any uh, setting, perhaps in subjects such as mathematics, then maybe even our lower sets might be slightly higher ability than we're often used to. And the starting points are quite different for our students from other years. Contrary, you might find that actually your cohorts are generally lower ability and that, that might have implications for um, special educational needs department and just the, the support that teachers put in place for their students. It's also able to, enables you to look at long term trends in your data. So rather than just looking at this cohort, have a look and see, uh, have we seen any changes over a number of years to the cohorts entering the school? For example, um, a school that I visited recently had seen um, that over the course of time, their ability, that the cohorts seemed to be becoming more able. They had more of the most able students um, than they were often used to. And they thought this might be some local factor, perhaps as the school had built up a reputation in the local area, and therefore that they were able to be a bit more selective about the students that joined the school. Um, other factors start to have an impact as well, such as um, sometimes if uh, school is a fee paying school and there are financial uh, crashes, for example, then you might see the, the, the cohort ability drop um, as the school might become less selective as uh, fewer students apply um, if there's wider financial implications. So uh, the intake data really allows you to analyse the trends over time and to, to pass on that information to heads of department and teachers. Now, we probably wouldn't suggest that you share the intake data directly with all teachers or with all middle leaders. Um, it can just become too much data, so to speak. But it's often the sort of thing that, that governors and senior leaders should be digesting um, right at the beginning of the year um, and perhaps then enabling teachers uh, to, to think about the implications that might have. The, the second part then of the, the baseline data are the individual pupil reports or IPRs, and they are far more useful for individual classroom teachers or, or perhaps perhaps heads of departments to use when facilitating um, departmental discussions because the IPRs tell you uh, the exact scores that each pupil achieved uh, along with uh, a confidence band around them so a range of plausible values um, except it's a one-off assessment on one given day and we could never definitively say this is a student's ability end of story. So th those IPRs allow us to identify whether students uh, have got particularly low scores in any of the sections of the assessments. So when we're talking about Midius, uh, Yellis and Alice, we're talking about vocabulary and maths. And then there's something about nonverbal, spatial awareness, uh, visual intuition. And then when we're looking at Midius, um, there's skills. That's almost a proxy for exam skills, about working quickly and accurately under time pressure. And we can then use those scores for an individual pupil to identify 
have they, they got any particular strengths that we should be aware of? Or perhaps we might see a pupil, uh, perhaps an EAL student, for example, with a significantly lower vocabulary score. And that can be really powerful information to tell us just what is their, their starting point with their English vocabulary. That's going to have an, imp an implication for that student, not just in English, but across the whole curriculum. The whole curriculum in your school is probably being taught in English and um, all subjects, even most modern foreign languages at GCSE. Um, require an element of English as part of um, the examination process. So it can give you some really useful information about starting points. If we see lower mathematics scores, for example, then uh, that's also not something that the maths department will fix for that student. That's again something that will have wider implications across the curriculum. In the maths section, things like sequencing are being assessed, which is important for students when it comes to structuring um, written answers, which again are required across all subjects in the curriculum. So uh, these sections of the assessment can perhaps just give us a, a bit more information about the students and, and really enable you to think more deeply about the support that you give to your students. That's great. I mean, I think it's really interesting just going back to what you said about cohort analysis and working with different year groups year on year. I mean, it's, it's kind of innate, isn't it, that we, we want to, as schools, as teachers, to make progress year on year and better ourselves each year. And it's often forgotten that actually, well, the conditions who we're working with, you know, can, can be very different year on year. And so we just can't expect necessarily to build on what we achieved last year and better it consistently over time. So, yeah, that's that's really interesting analysis, I think, for, for governors and senior leaders, as you said. And then there's IPRs, obviously very helpful for teachers to get to know their students, uh, their strengths and their areas for development really quite quickly. So, Matt, are we ready to move on to the next part in the process, the goal setting? Yeah, um, I would just add before that, that I think often when schools look at the, the cohort intake profiles, often it, it can be very surprising but often will confirm things that were just known anecdotally within the school that teachers might just there might be a general feeling that our current year nine seems more able um, than other cohorts and often these things then get confirmed when looking at the cohort analysis but then there's often sometimes uh, some surprises in there where where you might be able to dispel some some myths within the school um uh, as well. So the, they are really useful to, to look at and to, to consider early in the year. Moving on to, to goal setting, again, um, what kind of information is available and how can this information be used and by whom? So I think predominantly with the goal setting date to that, that's very often used by middle leaders and by the, the classroom teachers in the school. And again, it can be split down into two parts. So there's what, what CEM called predictions, and that will be some single grade predictors for potential outcomes at GCSE or A-level or IB examinations. Now, I think that actually predictions isn't necessarily always the the best word to use for these that what CEM produce are really indicators of average progress. So uh, a student, when considered, uh, when looking at a whole wider sample of students around the world, and remembering that CEM's assessments often have 100,000 or more students around the world feeding into that data bank, 
then it allows you to to have a, a bit of a think about other students with a similar starting point, what they tend to, uh, what they tend to go on to achieve in later examinations. And those predictions can then be they can just be a, a point to start to think about in terms of a tracking process. For example, if CEM suggests that if a student is going to make average progress, they will go on to achieve a six at GCSE. If that student is working at a higher level than that, then it can start to, to give you some information that that student's actually working really quite well and that, that they are going to make exceptional progress. And you can also start to think about the characteristics that for why that student's doing so uh, so well. But on the other hand, you might find um, some students that CEM is suggesting that if they make average progress, they'll achieve an eight or a nine at GCSE. And actually, they're, they're currently working a, a bit lower than that. And it can just give you some information that maybe that student has a little bit more in the tank that they're not demonstrating. And it won't tell you why, but it can help you to ask those, those questions. Um, is it perhaps something at home that, that's uh, inhibiting that student or perhaps students just trying to fit in with their peer group and is not mm -hmm. quite demonstrating their whole potential students are canny as well they they know that if you show that you're you're really able you get asked to do more stuff and often harder yeah. stuff as well so uh, sometimes it can be better to to not quite give everything and you see em data can, can cut, often cut through that and highlight students that maybe there's a little bit more in the tank. And the second part of the predictive, the, the, the goal setting data uh, are the chances graphs. And what CEM do with those is they look at other students of a similar starting point and what they went on to achieve. And it will then give you some percentage chance. It might say that students got a 3% chance of achieving a three, a 10% chance of achieving a four, a 27% chance of achieving a and so on. And these are even more powerful than those single grade predictors because it starts to, to give you a bit more of an idea about the range of plausible outcomes. And you can then start to think about the characteristics of the student. So if you've got a student that works very hard, has very good attendance, attends all revision sessions, does their homework on time, um, attends all lessons, then they're the students that are probably going to make really good progress. And you might look a bit uh, further up the, the, the range of um, likely outcomes towards the eights and the nines. Whereas if you have a student perhaps is part of an elite sports team, so misses a lot of school or, or perhaps has other attendance issues or other um, things that might prevent them from making exceptional progress, then you might look a little bit lower down the curve. And it just allows you to think about what what outcomes are, are likely for students. And in terms of those chances, graph, useful for um for teachers and for senior uh, for, for middle leaders sorry um, they can also be used with parents and I, i've seen some schools that have effectively used them to mediate conversations with parents when it comes to thinking about potential outcomes and and how to get there as well so um using chance graphs can say well actually your son um other students like your son tend not to go on to achieve nines they tend to achieve sevens or eights but these are the things that we're doing to help your son. And these are the things that you can do to help him as well um, to, to go on to get those those top outcomes. I've also seen them used with students as well. Now, obviously, we, we suggest using professional judgment um, with these that not every single student will uh, react in the same way when these are used. But uh, they can sometimes form a really useful conversation to think about um, what characteristics students need to show um, in order to go on to, to achieve really well. 
in school and, and can often just help students to reflect a bit more on uh, what uh, they they are capable of and, and how that they they can get there uh, as well so they're not just a tool there for, for teachers uh, we've seen them used with various different stakeholders in school just to think about what what is achievable what is doable um, and what are those next steps to go on to achieve that Okay, great. So the same question applies really um, in talking about progress data in this third part of the process. Um, tell us a little bit about the kind of information available, when it becomes available, and then how this can be meaningfully used um, by various stakeholders within the school. And maybe some of the practices you've seen as well in your travels and in dealing with other schools. Yeah, so when we're talking about CEM's progress data, we're primarily talking about value-added data that are produced by CEM. And uh, I think the, the key thing to say right from the outset when it comes to, to looking at value-added data is that value-added is just a measure of pupil progress, and it isn't a measure of teacher effectiveness. And unfortunately, I have visited and seen many schools where they do use it as a direct measure of teacher effectiveness or departmental effectiveness. While it might be a proxy for teacher effectiveness, it doesn't directly measure it. So uh, it, it is just a tool to allow you to reflect upon the progress that your students have made compared to lots of other students around the world with a similar starting point. And one of the uh, innovations that CEM have come up with uh, in recent years is value added on results day. And this means that you, you can get the, the results really quite quickly after uploading um, either GCSE or A-level results. Um, IB value added is, is produced in August, um, so a couple of weeks after the results actually come in. But CEM are, are, are trying to give you that information in a really timely fashion. So um, senior leaders can, and perhaps governors as well, um, and, and maybe even if your, your heads of department are interested in looking at their value added data, then that comes back to you in, in mid to late August. And the, the key focus with value added data and my, my mantra, I would say, there's no such thing as a one year trend. And value added is about looking for patterns over time and just to reflect upon the progress your students are making. Are our students making exceptional progress in particular subjects? And then to think about the reasons why, what practices are happening in the school that are causing pupils to make exceptional progress. So are particular practices happening in certain departments that mean students are making really good progress in those subjects? And likewise, are there uh, subjects where students aren't making quite as much progress? And uh, try and again pick out the reasons why. And I'd say that the primary use of value added data is really to improve collaboration between departments, perhaps between different teachers. I, I know when I've looked at some value added data before, uh, you can sometimes see that particular members of staff work really well with some of the lower ability students uh, and they make exceptional progress. So that they can often be a, a source of a, a wealth of, of great information to share with, with colleagues because um, you've got some evidence of what might work there. It can also help improve collaboration between departments uh, if you identify departments where uh, pupils do seem to make uh, really good progress and also between schools uh, schools with 
um, really good value-added scores, really high-positive scores, then maybe perhaps they can share some of their expertise with other schools within the schools group or perhaps with other schools in the local area. So it really allows you to, uh, to identify and evaluate what has worked and what went well and perhaps what hasn't worked quite as well. Also allows you to, to evaluate initiatives that you bring in in the school and whether they have um, an impact on pupil progress that, that you would hope. So it just allows you to reflect upon the progress your students have made and to start to think what what's gone well and perhaps what areas do we need to to improve as a school with uh, the a really key focus that while value added is reflective it's looking back on pupil progress the key point of it is actually to inform planning and to look forward um, and to think about what might we do the same what might we do differently what do we need to try what seems to have worked and do you find that value added is, is sometimes an afterthought in, in the use of CEM data? Um, I, I wouldn't say that. I think actually of all the schools that I visit, often it's the value added data that schools do tend to look at. And actually it's often the baseline data that the IPRs, the, the cohort level data that schools aren't quite as familiar with. But if anything, yeah. that, that should be flipped around, that value-added data, while you can learn something useful from it and perhaps plan for the future, um, the, the horse is very much already bolted uh, with those cohorts, so to speak. Whereas the, the baseline data, you're receiving that right at the very beginning of teaching, sometimes in year seven, uh, year 10, year 12, and actually allows you to make adjustments to differentiate your teaching for each student. And, to give them the best chance of making uh, as much progress. So while value-added is really useful, um, I think that actually the baseline data, the cohort-level data, really is the most valuable part of the, the CEM data, and it's often the bit that, that is underused. Yeah, I mean, it's all incredibly powerful, really. I mean, the, the notion of value-added was something that, uh, that CEM um, first established, I think, around the same time as the people in America 25 30 years ago and um it really does give you the the full picture doesn't it because you you can easily get fixated on grades and the school community gets fixated on grades but the the real story could be quite different we might not be performing as well as we could do given the the student population we have or we might be doing really really well for the student population that we have but the grades you know don't tell the full picture as to how well students are making progress in our school and like you say, the use of the IPRs and all of that baseline data, if used well, is only going to hopefully improve your value-added score um, a couple of years down the line. Uh, yes, uh, you're absolutely right in that um, what value-added can tell you um, is just so much more powerful than looking at end results. And often schools report what percentage of students achieved seven to nine grades or achieved a star and A grades. And while that's all well and good, that, that really doesn't take into account how the, the cohort, how the, the ability of students entering the school changes. Just looking at exam results just looks at endpoints, whereas value added gives you a much more powerful picture because it takes into account those endpoints, but also considers the starting points of the students and the progress that they've made. Okay, Matt, well, let's draw it to a close there. We've gone through all three parts of the three-part process, the cohort and baseline data, uh, the goal-setting data, and then their, um, the progress data that we've just talked about. So thanks very much, Matt, for sharing those insights and the experiences of other schools around the world. 
And of course, there is the CEM uh, Essentials online course for schools where there's um, lots of resources, videos that, that Matt has put together to explain the different types of reports and the information available and how they can be used. And Matt is very regularly in schools around the world delivering training face to face to various stakeholders within the school community, whether it be chats to governors, senior leaders, workshops with middle leaders or classroom teachers. So if you'd like to speak to Matt um, in any greater detail about CEM data and its use, then do get in touch. Thanks very much. <laughs>